Welcome to McDonald Laurier's latest edition of our podcast series, Pod Bless Canada. This is Ken Coates, Senior Fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. My guest today on Pod Bless Canada is noted Indigenous leader Guy Lonechild. Guy is uh, currently the CEO of the First Nations Power Authority and a former chief of the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations in the province of Saskatchewan. Uh, he's a proud member of the White Bear First Nation, where he served as band director. In terms of his First Nation background, he's Cree and Assiniboine. Guy also comes to us as a recent graduate from Cape Breton University, where he completed his Master's of Business Administration, studying different aspects of uh, Aboriginal Economic Development Corporations. Guy, it's great to have you with us today. Good morning, Ken. Nice to be with you. Well, listen, can I just get you to give me a quick overview of the First Nations uh, Power Authority? It's not an organization that's very well known outside of Saskatchewan. So tell us what your company and your organization does. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity. Uh, the First Nations Power Authority was uh, conceived back in 2011 uh, based on discussions with the province of Saskatchewan and the then Federation of Saskatchewan Indian Nations, uh, developed as a non-profit entity. Uh, we serve uh, both industry members as developers in renewable energy projects uh, and as well as general membership. Uh, so that would be First Nations uh, in Saskatchewan that uh, get to vote uh, on our bylaws and look for to uh, advance the direction of renewable energy development in the province. And so uh, our specific master agreement with SAS Power allows us uh, to procure set-asides and develop projects in partnership with industry and First Nations membership on a whole host of, uh, of technologies, whether that be solar, uh, flare gas, uh, wind, uh, geothermal, or other technologies. So um, from very humble beginnings, uh, we're starting to grow and develop some, some, uh, some progress on those fronts, uh, looking at some of the targets that SAS Power has put before us uh, by the year 2030. They're looking at the development of uh, renewable energy uh, to satisfy some of the energy demand here in Saskatchewan. So they've set a target of 50% 50, 50 renewable by, the, by, by 2030. So in, in, in terms of that, 50% renewable is a very aggressive target, particularly for a pop, uh, province with a very small population and widely distributed. Um, as you know, there's something like 75 First Nations in the, in the province, and many of them are very isolated areas. Um, that's a very ambitious target. How much of that do you think the First Nations uh, Power Authority will actually be responsible for? Well, we think that uh, uh, we, we want to think beyond the 300 megawatts that are set aside from uh, from our current master agreement that expires in 2022. Uh, we'd be probably fast, uh, very quickly looking at uh, extensions of that agreement so that we could develop uh, potentially up to 1,000 megawatts of uh, various technologies. Uh, so ultimately, it's, uh, it's uh, an opportunity for us to test uh, our metal a little bit in terms of our internal capacity to, to develop and take good projects to SAS power. Uh, the impetus for change, Ken, uh, obviously is there. Uh, we're uh, uh, very uh, expensive power in, in the country, uh, second to, to Ontario. Um, so when we're talking about uh, 14.82 cents per megawatt, uh, we're talking about a, a significant gap there in terms of what is the opportunity for cheap renewable energy technologies to come on stream. So wind and solar have, have been that impetus. The, the cost has been coming down. So there's money to be made. There's cost of electricity concerns in, in northern and remote communities like the Athabasca communities, for example. 
but there's also wealth generation opportunities. And so we think that there's a whole host of uh, business opportunities and contract opportunities for uh, the green infrastructure to be built and help to sustain some of these communities who have some very ch- serious challenges ahead of them in terms of socioeconomic uh, conditions and the downturn in the mining sector for a good example. So uh, I think it's an opportunity that we're, we're ready and willing to take on. So can you explain something to me? You know, when we hear about, you know, renewable energy and solar power, wind initiatives, run of river projects, things of that sort. And in the country as a whole, these are often talked about as provincial or crown corporations uh, sort of taking these initiatives. That's sort of the standard story we're getting. Um, the reality, as I understand that, is that First Nations are actually way ahead of the curve on renewable resources and that they, they actually have dozens and dozens of projects already underway across the country. Is that is that the case? And how extensive is it? Well, right in our backyard, uh, we've got a, a very significant um, pilot project with the Cowes' First Nation. They're developing up to one megawatt of, uh, of, a, of a hybrid wind, solar, and battery storage uh, project. And so we, we think that that's an extremely exciting part of uh, what early steps First Nations have taken. Uh, we've had a number of First Nations who have done uh, studies, uh, dispatched uh, anemometers to measure the wind capacity in various parts of the province. Um, right across the country, we've looked at uh, some of the examples where hydro development, both small hydro from British Columbia to, to medium scale and larger scale hydro in, in the east. And so um, there's, there's a real uh, interest in developing renewable energy projects right across the country. So... Um, if, if we were to, to say how many megawatts are, are, in, are in full stream, I would say uh, well over, well over uh, 1,000 megawatts is, is, is uh, a figure that's, that's quite, quite um, modest. Uh, but, but there's lots of room for growth, Ken, uh, in, in that. And so uh, FNPA's role, uh, I think, in mandate potentially could expand beyond Saskatchewan to, to bring on more partners and more projects into, into our energy mix. Fantastic. Now, we, we've talked about Indigenous economic development for a number of years, and I know of your research on Aboriginal Economic Development Corporations. What does it mean to you as a very prominent First Nation leader in Western Canada to see First Nations people owning these projects, uh, gathering as much of the profit and revenue as they possibly can for their communities? Just tell me a little bit about the symbolic and cultural significance of this kind of a step forward. Well, I, right from the very um, beginning of of, uh, of my path in life, and, and I think the leaders in, in many other communities uh, see housing uh, and and the, the the need to be sustainable uh, as an avenue to to create self sufficiency, to create uh, self reliance, and that's been a lot of uh, uh, important goals and targets set by by new leaders coming on stream uh, in their, from the early seventies right through to today. Can uh, renewable energy uh, presents that opportunity? We see that um, you know there's new housing standards uh, to meet new national building code. Well, how are we going to be able to achieve energy efficiency and energy security by not having adequate housing and and being able to uh, ensure that uh, the standards on reserve are, are met? And so uh, this gives us, I think, a, a unique uh, opportunity. And FNPA is well positioned to to look at energy efficiency programs in partnerships with SAS Power. And so we're doing just that. Community energy energy planning, for example, with the Kloani First Nation in the Yukon, helps to develop self-government First Nations to, to to develop new sources of wealth. So, the federal gas tax is directly rebated because 
Kluani First Nation has developed a community energy plan. And so that's really a nice roadmap and an example where other First Nations who are looking at sectoral self-government here in Saskatchewan, for example, the First Nations Land Management Act bans, the entire Saskatoon Tribal Council has opted into that piece of legislation where 32 sections of the Indian Act are taking out of play and they develop their own environment and their own land use planning and their own economic development planning. So what a community energy plan does is, is intersects quite nicely with community economic development planning. So if we were to look at uh, what you know is in store for the future, obviously more green infrastructure development and more federal investment is just good for the province, especially when we're dealing with uh, the rising cost of electricity. Um, renewable energy is is going is here to stay and uh, it, it's wor- it's worked its way into many first nations planning uh, documents and and their strategic plans for 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 the benefit of their community members so it's an exciting it's an exciting venture for for us as at FNPA it, it really is now guy just if you don't mind um, on these projects at first nations power authority is it the owner of these projects um, is it a um, or is it the facilitator of these projects what's its actual management role relative to these individuals because each, each example you tell us is about a community building a solar a solar farm or a, a community working on a wind project or working on a run of the river project um, so what is the what is the official role of first nations power authority on the management side so that's that's a really good question and it's important to to state uh, right out that we we're, we are uh, like an industry association. Uh, we take memberships from, from industry. Uh, that membership fee is uh, $2,500 for any developer that wishes to be a part of and take part in any of the set-aside uh, arrangements that we have with SAS Power. The, uh, the fee for First Nations or Métis communities uh, in Saskatchewan or other provinces, for example, uh, $500 will get you a general membership, which you are allowed to vote uh, and, and participate in, in the organization's decisions, uh, not necessarily at, uh, at the board level, but, but at, a, at a membership level. And so what we do as a team here at FNPA is we look to de-risk projects. So uh, we will facilitate uh, and develop criteria for participation. So citing criteria, investment criteria, how do First Nations participate in equity uh, partnerships uh, with their development partner? Uh, those are some of the important aspects that we look to to advance projects through to to SAS Power to achieve a power purchase agreement. So uh, we have an engineer on staff, and we have got uh, financial modelers, community energy planning uh, experts, and of course uh, myself as a CEO uh, dispatching these these project opportunities to to the general membership and, and the industry members. So so guy, let's let's jump forward twenty five years from now. Um, you're, you've always been a visionary. You've always been a very, uh, very prominent and very successful leader in your community and actually ac- across the Indigenous communities across Canada. So 25 years from now, what does First Nations Power Authority look like? And what role do you see Indigenous communities having in Western Canada um, and maybe even the country as a whole in the area of renewable energy? Is this uh, something that's going to be happening on the margins of the industry or will you take over the industry? Well, we really see, uh, I think, uh, uh, a cross-section of interest from right across the country coming to the forefront. And, and one of the, the things uh, specifically that, uh, you know, the government of the day and, and many others in, uh, throughout the, the country, uh, provincial jurisdictions, have set targets of being 30% renewable in Alberta, for example, 50% here in Saskatchewan. But really, what does, what does the future look like for, for, for 2050? 
Um, can Saskatchewan achieve uh, 100% clean uh, renewable energy uh, by that date? Those are some of the things I think we work in, will have to work in collaboration with, with various uh, governments. But more specifically for Saskatchewan, we view FNPA as an opportunity to, to occupy the area, occupy the field of jurisdiction when it comes to having uh, projects on reserve, having participation of projects off reserve. Is it possible that FNPA can grow? Um, we've established very important government-to-government relationships with, with the province of Saskatchewan on Indian gaming. We're one of the largest employers uh, in the entire country uh, for First Nations people. Can the energy sector provide that in terms of employment, uh, contract opportunities, electricians, new new engineers, and, and really a burgeoning sector here? And I if, if, if I could uh, have it our way, we would be a meaningful part of that energy spectrum of what we can provide to SAS Power. And then we would have other agreements with other jurisdictions uh, on behalf of our membership in those various provinces and territories. And so I don't think it's a matter of if we're going to grow. I, I really believe it's a matter of when FNPA grows and, and uh, we're excited about the future of, uh, of our organization. Yeah, this is fantastic. So just a technical question. Um, people outside the field might not know what a set-aside is. So can you explain that? Because I think that's a really important part of the almost guaranteed success of the First Nations Power Authority, and it's an important initiative. Sure. So it isn't a part of the regular request for proposal process that SAS Power uh, is doing right now. What SAS Power has allowed FNPA to do is to accept a specific set-aside of a, of a prescribed set of, of megawatts to dispatch in, into our communities. And so it's, it's done through what's called a First Nations Opportunity Agreement. And this agreement uh, allows for the flexibility for us to design what that part that what that participation looks like. Uh, is there a requirement for fifty one percent ownership of, of a project of a wind project for for two hundred megawatts of wind, for example? We'll be rolling that out in in the near future. Uh, what's the participation rate for a ten megawatt project? And what's the best siting uh, criteria that we could take advantage of some of the interconnection challenges SAS Power has? Uh, we figure out, I think, from a technical standpoint in collaboration with SAS Power, what that is, and we take that uh, information and we try to d- design what's the most economically feasible and viable projects when when it comes to uh, our our proposals that we would look at, and so. Our approach is much more uh, back and forth and involved uh, in a conversation like uh, rather than a uh, we pick winners and losers and then uh, we'll see you later and, and, and see you at the next round of, of RFPs that we're, we're not looking at doing uh, that kind of approach. We'd, we'd like to really see success uh, and build capacity and knowledge transfer back and forth to each of the communities and, and the partners that they that they're developing with. So um, it's unique. But it's, uh, it's something that is, is going to guarantee FNPA's success if, if we do this right. Oh, that, that's terrific. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing is that governments across Canada, and even the federal government's doing this in the context of cannabis and a few other things, are understanding the sort of society's need to create some economic space for, uh, for Indigenous peoples. That because they were blocked out of the economy for so long, they didn't have the opportunity to lay down deep commercial roots. And so these initiatives give folks a chance to sort of move in a, in, in a more interesting direction. So it's very, very exciting. Guy, this has been absolutely terrific. Can I just I'm ask one last question of you, if you don't mind? You just finished a, a really excellent piece of writing for your MBA on economic development corporations. Um, and I'd just be interested in your thoughts on how significant these organizations are, the Aboriginal 
regional economic development corporations and how do you think they're going to be in the coming years in terms of building prosperity and opportunity for indigenous peoples yes aboriginal economic development corporations are are a fairly new phenomenon here in in the province of saskatchewan in in the in the last decade or so we've seen significant growth and involvement in uh, the mining sector for example well, the focus of the study was on the Athabasca Basin Development Corporation and its humble beginnings from looking at participating in uh, construction contracts in northern communities that are, were hard to serve and where infrastructure is underdeveloped. Uh, we then start taking a look at how do First Nations participate in the decision-making process uh, and separating the business from the politics and the decision-making from the chief and council has been a model of success. Multi-community approaches such as ABD have allowed both First Nations and Métis communities to collaborate on a number of projects. And so uh, we've seen, uh, you know, upwards of $200 million of new revenue, so sources of revenue flow uh, through ABD and its, its, uh, its subsidiaries in developing and building the Cigar Lake Mine, for example, has been a significant opportunity for those Athabasca communities. And it's the first mine in Canada where it's been almost entirely built by First Nations and Métis communities with, the, with, their, with their companies. And so that model of success uh, was captured in the paper. Uh, you know, the, the help that uh, in the assistance that uh, you have provided and the leadership has opened up, I think, a new source of knowledge for Canadians to look at. And so uh, our target and our hope is that there will be more uh, profiling of Aboriginal uh, economic development companies and what their contribution is to Canadian society and how that's really changing the face of the way First Nations people are seen in the country. And it's an exciting piece because we all know the Indian Act and other forms of federal legislation has really uh, isolated First Nations from economic uh, involvement and development. Um, so this is an opportunity to to see success in a, in a, in a very scalable way, uh, measure that success and be able to provide a roadmap for the, what the future looks like for Indigenous relations and non-Indigenous relations in the country. Well, Guy, this has been absolutely fabulous. Uh, I've followed your career with great interest over the last while and tremendously impressed with what you've accomplished today. The First Nations Power Authority is the kind of initiative that is a conversation changer. It puts the relationship of First Nations to the broader economy in completely different light. Um, you've given us enormous insights into how this operates and what the potential is. I really appreciate it. So, Guy Lonechild, thank you very much on behalf of all of our listeners. Uh, uh, hope everybody enjoys this uh, version of uh, Podcast Canada. And thanks to our listeners, too, for uh, being part of this event. Uh, this is Ken Coates speaking to you on behalf of the McDonald laurie Institute. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Guy Lonechild. Yeah, thank you, Ken.